God, we thank you for this moment that we can sing to you, we can come to you, and just with all these people around us, Father. And we know that we're not alone. Also, we know we're not alone because you are Emmanuel, that Jesus came, that we could know you, we could know what it means to walk with you, to be in relationship. And today, we're going to learn about what it means to love you as you've loved us. And we just thank you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated. That'd be wonderful. I want to welcome you this morning. And one of the first things I want to do is just talk a little bit about one of our ministry teams here at our church. And Dave mentioned our music team, but we have so many folks who serve here and they give of themselves. And uh, one of the teams that uh, just really means a lot to me is our the people who serve for memorial services. Uh, and we, we were able to have one on Monday that was, you know, pretty large service for Bill Williams, and many of you were at that, and his wife Elaine, so grateful. And then we have another one next coming Saturday um, that we're going to be able to have here uh, for Brian Jones. And many of you may not know that Brian last Sunday came to church and went home and was playing with his grandchild in his lawn and had a heart attack. And went to heaven right there. And so this coming Saturday, we'll have his service here uh, as well. And then uh, we, we do these services for our members and those who come here for no to lowest, lowest cost possible if there's ever a cost, but it's mostly no cost. And then occasionally, uh, our community will contact us because uh, there's going to be a service that uh, would really be too small for any venue that they have access to, and so they ask if we'd be willing to uh, allow them to come here. And we had one of those yesterday, and uh, a lot of you were at that service uh, for Sam Floyd. Uh, he was the pastor at Abundant Life Community Church, had been here forever, and uh, we just saw that. Uh, we had somewhere over 800 people here yesterday. Uh, and once again, it was no cost uh, uh, for them to come here. And uh, just want to thank that team. They came. They were here like at 11.30, some of them, 12. Service started at 2. And uh, here until almost 7, some of them, cleaning up last night because we just told them they could stay as long as they wanted. And uh, they did. Uh, so... <laughs> And so this is what, you know, one of those things you get. So, you know what, if you'd like to serve on that team uh, that's so dear and helps, you just don't understand what it does for people, just write memorial service on the back of your card today, and we'd love to uh, be able to have you serve with them and to help out uh, in that way. So uh, also, I need to say something before I get started in my talk today. Uh, last week, uh, most of you who were here know that I used a news story referring to Pope Francis, if you'll remember that in the Ten Commandments. And, uh, well, that story turned out to be false, okay? It just turned out to be false. And I just need you to know how much I regret that uh, mistake that I did. And I pride myself in being a person of integrity, full of grace and truth. In this case, I missed on both measurements. Last week, I had in my hand what I what looked like, and from everything I could tell, an actual news story that turned out to be a hoax. Uh, and, you know, I thought I'd checked it out even during the singing, the first song while you were singing, I ran to my computer one more time and Googled it and looked at it and even printed it off so I could have it with me, you know, so that just gave me the security that it was accurate. And uh, I learned a big lesson there. I fell into the trap of 
if it's on the internet, it must be true. <laughs> and so that caused me to miss on the truth side, and I regret that. And I'm sorry, and I ask you to forgive me for sharing something that was not accurate, was not true. Now, I appreciate that. So on the grace side, I do my best to always be reasonable and to give others the same benefit of the doubt that I want to receive myself uh, when I say things and then someone might want to take it out of context. So I try to always be graceful there. So I told our staff this week that I learned again that the best, repro- uh, the best approach, unless it's maybe an egregious offense, uh, that I will stick with my tried and true approach, and that is be nice to people. Okay? Just be nice to people. So as I said at home on Sunday afternoon, after I'd already received emails, uh, letting me know that I'd received, uh, that I had, uh, the story was not true, uh, my wife Kimberly and I were talking, and she could see how much this bothered me, and she looked at me, and she says, this is a chance for you to go deep with Jesus. Deep with Jesus. And that's what I've done this week. I've prayed for forgiveness from the Father. I've prayed for your forgiveness. And to the best, I'll just say this today, to the best of my human, fallible, ordinary ability, I won't do this again, okay? So we just not that. So, And lastly, I just want to thank you for those who did email me and we got to have dialogue. Just thank you so much for your grace-filled responses. It was so inspiring to me and really blessed me. Okay, so I just needed to get that clear, and, and those of you who weren't here, you're thinking, I got to go watch last week. Well, I can guarantee it's not on the internet, okay? <laughs> we took it off uh, and edited out my statements, okay? So our team did a great job doing that, and so because I didn't want that going viral, and uh, that I would have no way to be able to talk to someone one-on-one or just like I'm doing right now, okay? So, okay, so grab your message notes out of your program, and uh, also turn your Bible to Mark chapter 12. And if you're really ambitious, you could turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 as well. So Mark chapter 12 and Deuteronomy chapter 6 and your message notes. And let's dig into the series that we started last week called Be Ordinary. Now, based upon my community group and how animated the discussion was uh, last Monday evening about this first week of this idea of being ordinary, I wish I could have been in every community group this week to hear the discussions and to be able to give clarification and talk as I was in mine. And uh, as we were talking last week about an approach to life that's just not American, I would say. It's not normal. It's not what most of us think would be the approach to life to be able to be successful and get ahead. We were calling us to an ordinary life. I said last week, in a world of hype, where people are living for the next big thing, where something always has to be bigger and better before it's going to be able to get our attention, then uh, the concept of being ordinary is foreign to us, and for some of us, it's even frightening to be in this place. No one wants to be an ordinary person in an ordinary family, in an ordinary house, living on an ordinary street, an ordinary neighborhood, going to an ordinary church, living in an ordinary country. Nobody wants that. And we have this expectation that the only meaningful experiences that we have in life are those that are radical, extraordinary, full of superlatives in some way to get our attention. So it's difficult for us to value what we've determined in our minds already would be just 
ordinary. Because nobody wants to be ordinary, right? No one of us wants to be that. But if you think about it, ordinary is one of the most common of life's experiences that we all go through, that we all live in, but it's also one of the most despised. Now, for those of you who despise ordinary, I made some clarification last week, and I just want to kind of give that a little bit to kind of set us up today. Uh, When you think about ordinary, that some of you, when you think of ordinary, you think that I'm talking about mediocrity. But we're not talking about mediocrity here. We're not calling us to all go home and lounge on the couch all afternoon and do nothing. Uh, We have enough slackers already, okay? So this isn't a call to be a slacker. Some of you are going, oh, my word, you were already on board for that. Um, You think you already do it well, sorry. (laughs) So, But also, I'm not talking about this mentality that, okay, then it's just good enough, right? Ordinary means just being good enough. So uh, I you know, received some responses and comments from some people. They looked at me with dazed eyes last week in the lobby after the service. So I just want to make one thing clear. I'm not saying that when we say that we're going to live a life called be ordinary, that you can't be involved in businesses or causes where your primary task is to sell products. Because in order to sell your products, you have to you know, have an edge, a leading edge. You have to set yourself apart from your competitors or from other products. So you might want to you know, use superlatives in order to be able to get your product noticed so that you can stand out in a crowded and competitive field. So we're not talking about you know, that kind of thing. We're saying be ordinary. Uh, we're talking about a different way to live. Also, some of you think about ordinary, and one of my friends, and I knew he was going to say this in my community group, so when I d- gave you the definition of ordinary last week, and it said words like usual, normal, you know, traditional, those kinds of things, it, he told me that in the service, he literally wrote yuck beside that definition, uh, and I knew he would. Uh, so, uh, and so I teased him about that, and so some of you think that it's a call to being it being bored, where we just sit around and, you know, we contemplate the Lent and our navels. That's not what we're talking about. In fact, the ordinary life, I'll just say this, it's not a boring approach to life at all. And I want to be careful by overselling this, but it may be one of the most exciting ways to live. Uh, but also, I'll just say this, I'm not calling us to this new bandwagon or a new hype where we're going to say that Ordinary is the new radical, okay? So we're not doing that either. We're calling us just, we want to be ordinary in life. And what I am calling us to, as I shared, that ordinary leads us to a life of contentment, sustainability, and to love. That's where ordinary leads us, to that kind of life that we can have. And the ordinary life is sustainable, and at least a contentment, because we are looking at Jesus, and the life that he lived. Now, some other people really squirmed last week when I said Jesus was the most ordinary person who ever walked on the face of the earth, right? He was supernatural. But when you look at what he did, he just did ordinary things as he approached life. Miracles involved, extraordinary. But most of the time, it was just ordinary, the things he did. In fact, we ended last week by saying this, that living the ordinary life is following Jesus. That's what the ordinary life is. It's a call to follow Jesus. And so what that means is, is that you've said yes to Jesus. You've accepted him. You've embraced him as the forgiver and the healer of your life. It also means that you have accepted him and received him as the leader of your life. And you have accepted him and received his transformational power for your life. 
See, following Jesus means that I am going to look to Jesus as my model, and I'm going to do to the best of my ability, I'm going to follow him, and I'm going to attempt to live life as he lived it, because he's the master, he's the teacher, and I'm the, the one who's being mentored, or I am the apprentice. So that's the relationship we have. Now look at these verses, John 14 and John 15. This is what Jesus says. He says, if you obey me, if you love me, obey my commandments. So there's a test, a litmus test of our love, whether we obey his commandments. Now you're going to see that the ordinary life is all about obeying Jesus' commandments. That's what it's really all about. Then he says this in John 15. We looked at last week. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. So he's saying here... Living the ordinary life is when you choose to say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to obey what you say, and it's because of love, because of love. So I believe that if we can embrace what we're going to look at in this series, and I'm just going to say if I can embrace it because I really struggle with this whole idea of I think I'm missing out on something, so I need to go after the bigger and better in life. So if we can really embrace this idea of being ordinary, I believe that we can have the full and meaningful life that we all desire without the hype, without the hype. I believe we can have that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at some verses from Mark chapter 12, Mark chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse 28. So kind of set up what's going on. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, so Jesus is coming, becoming more popular And so the religious leaders of Jesus' day have been asking him a series of questions. And it's not because they desire knowledge or information. It's because they're looking for a way that they can criticize or that they can devalue or that they can show others that Jesus is actually a false prophet. So they're not coming at this with integrity as they're asking them questions. So after a series of these questions, and Jesus has, as the Bible says, astounded them with his knowledge and with his understanding in a moment of what I think is, and I just want to say absolute sincerity, and then I just want to add complete desperation, one man looks to Jesus and asks the question, and he says to Jesus, okay, Jesus, I want to know, what is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? Now, I I don't think that uh, this was a guy who was uh, just trying to pin Jesus down as the others had. I really do believe he was sincere. So if you, gotta, you just got to understand why he would ask this question. The religious establishment in Jesus' day had taken the Ten Commandments we talked about last week. The first four are about vertical relationship with God. The last six are about horizontal relationship with others. They had taken those Ten Commandments, and they had, to help people understand how to keep the Ten Commandments, they had come up with 613 commandments or 613 rules, or 600 ways that you would keep the Ten Commandments. 248 were positive, do this, and 365 were negative, don't do this. So that's kind of the way that people were functioning in this day. So the system of rules was literally then crushing the life out of God's people. It's crushing the life out of them. And what it did is it created a hierarchy where you could measure yourself, a hierarchy. So you had those who said they kept all the rules. This would be the religious elite. They kept all the rules. Then you would have those who said they tried to keep all the rules. 
And then you had those who said uh, that they made it look like they were trying to keep all the rules, okay? And then you had those who were extremely fatigued and tired because, and burned out because they had tried to keep all the rules and they couldn't. And they're burned out in that way and they've given up. Now, I don't think this is a guy who's given up, uh, but I do believe that he was honestly and sincerely asking Jesus for help. So I believe this is what he was asking. I believe he was saying, Jesus, show us, show us. You seem to be, by the way you've answered questions, by your miracles, by, I would even say, his countenance, you seem to be one who was sent to us from God. So Jesus, what does he want? What does he want? What does he want from me? What does he want from us? Is there one law? Is there just one law that I could keep that would really bring me into right relationship with him? Is there one command that I could follow that if I could do it, that everything else in my life would kind of fall into place? And Jesus gives him an answer that I don't think he could have ever anticipated. And that answer, I believe, is what Jesus is calling and saying to us as well. That if you will do this, if you will do this, that you will be in relationship with God and you will get the most out of this life. Now, I've seen people uh, who have done what Jesus is going to call us to in just a moment. People who were on the surface, you looked at them. Um, I'm thinking of my mentor, Bert Lewis. And on the surface, if you ever met Bert, you would say, well, there's nothing special about him. But when you got to know him, it was an amazing individual. My friend Gary Young. And when I was in college, he's the one that taught me how to preach. And, uh, and so I remember, you know, Gary then later became a good friend with him before he died of brain cancer. And Gary, you look at him, there was nothing ordinary about him. I mean, nothing special about him. But inside, there was something very special. And I've had encounters with people like this by the score throughout my life as a follower of Jesus and now in ministry. And so what you would do is you would see someone who looked ordinary on the outside, but what they exuded, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's what they exhibited. And that's what you got from being around them. And so when I see a person like that, it inspires me to want to be like them. So I'm sure that right about now, everybody's waiting, <laughs> waiting for the answer that Jesus is about to give. So you know, the question that the man's given is, is just hanging in the air. Everyone's leaning forward. It's extremely quiet. Then Jesus spoke words that they had said, their entire lives, three times a day at the minimum, the Shema. Remember, we talked about this last week. They said it before they went to bed. They said it when they got up, and they said it as they went out, and they said it as they were out. So these words, they said at least minimum three times every day, and it's the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6, but it's recorded here in Mark 12. So I'm going to read them from Mark 12. By the way, that word Shema, it simply means listen, and that's the first word is listen. So here we go. It says, Jesus says, the most important commandment is this. Everybody's hearing. Everybody's listening. Listen, O Israel. Well, we know this already. Listen, O Israel. The Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God <coughs> with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. 
And as we talked about last week, Jesus took it a step further and he added to the Shema. So when he added to the Shema, we talked about this last week, that was his distinction of showing that he was God because he could change what had been written in the Old Testament and refine it in the New Testament and make it different. So he went on uh, to say these words, and he said, the second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, no other commandment is greater than these, no other commandment. So Jesus, by saying this, he was clarifying for them, and I just want to say today, clarifying for us what it means to be in relationship with God. And it's not about religion. It's not about rules. It's about walking in intimacy and relationship with God. That's what God calls us to. See, God wants a relationship. God didn't send Jesus to form a religion. He wants people to fully engage with him in that idea of relationship. As I said, he was also making the statement that he was God, and therefore you would follow his commands as he gave them and be able to live as God calls us to. So I'm basing all this, much of this, on a book I told you about last week. By the name, uh, the book is called The Jesus Creed by Scott McKnight, and he goes into you know, several chapters on this whole idea of the loving God and loving people. So last week, we just kind of said it this way. The ordinary life, based upon the Jesus creed, the I'm hearing whistling and rain at the same time. So somebody's phone's going off as we're listening to rain at the same time. I'm going, this is crazy. Okay. Sorry, I, don't mean, I usually don't point cell phones out, okay? So sorry about that, whoever that was. Okay, so what we're saying last week is the ordinary life. We can just boil it down. And this is our, one of our church's leading edges. This is who we've been for decades as a church, is when I love God, I love people, and I serve my world. That's the leading edge, and that's the ordinary life. But I can get into a position where all I do is about loving God, loving people, and serving my world, and I can live the ordinary life. And what I'm going to do this week is I'm going to unpack the idea of loving God, and then uh, next week, we're going to talk the idea about serving our world. Uh, I really felt like because we did in Romans 12, we spent two full weeks on about loving others that we would uh, not we'd, it'd be a little redundant to come back and cover that so soon. And so we're going to skip that. And then the last week, we're going to talk about a way to pray uh, that would bring us into this position with him and be able to have communion together in that last week. Okay, so let's talk about how to live with ordinary passion, passion that leads to contentment, passion that's sustainable, and passion that's about love. And so just kind of know, when Jesus was answering the question in his best Liverpool accent, Jesus says, all you need is love, okay? <laughs> so that's what we need. If I could sing it, I would. It's all about love. So first, the first thing he says is, love God with everything I've got. Everything I've got. In other words, love God completely, love God exclusively. So what I want to do is I'm going to walk back through those verses in Mark 12, and we're going to talk about this a little bit. Uh, Jesus says this, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. So the first thing we have to realize before I even get to this is that it, the idea is I'm going to, I'm going to, there's only one God, there's only one pursuit, and I'm going to pursue him above everything else. And so this is the most important commandment. And some people get confused, and they get to the second commandment about serving our world, and they say, well, when I serve my world, I'm loving God. You can serve our world without loving God. 
So we have to love God first. It's the primary focus of what we're called to do. And he says this, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. As we used to say a long time at our church, you know, I don't say it anymore, but all means all. That's all all means. And so he's calling us to this idea of what we do. So let's define love first, okay? Now, here's a definition of love that I worked up from the, just some, some of my research this week uh, as I was looking at that. And here's the definition. Love is a rugged commitment, rugged commitment of sacrificial action. It's a loving commitment of sacrificial action. I got to do a wedding last night. It was so gorgeous. We were out on this golf course, and the lighting was beautiful. The temperature was a little chilly, but everything else was perfect. And we're doing this wedding, and I just talked to them about they are making a commitment today, and that commitment is the foundation of their marriage. And the commitment is, is that they're covenanting to be married for life, and that that was going to require that they have sacrificial love if they were going to be able to sustain a marriage that would last for life as they came at that. So love is a rugged commitment. I love that idea, right? Rugged is tough. It requires effort. And so if you're going to keep loving, it's going to require something that uh, is hard-fought, battle-tried, as I establish a commitment with him. And so basically what you're saying is I'm in this for the long haul. I'm in this for the long haul. That's that kind of love it's talking about. It's a sacrifice. So I'm going to give whatever is needed because that's what I'm called to do. And it's also action. It's a commitment to act even when I don't feel like loving, uh, to act on behalf of someone else so that I show them my love. Now look at this verse from Deuteronomy 6. This is at the end of the Shema. The verses I just read that Jesus spoke, they were the Shema in Deuteronomy 6. And then it goes into verse 6 next. And says this, he says, you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Remember, I'm saying, in this series, the ordinary life is when I am willing to obey the commands of God, of Jesus, and then walk with him. So if we're going to love God wholeheartedly, here's what we have to believe. We have to believe that happiness is found in him alone. If I'm going to love him wholeheartedly. I have to believe that satisfaction is found in him alone. If I'm going to you know, love him wholeheartedly, I have to believe that purpose is found in him alone. I have to believe that healing is found in him alone. You just keep going on. I have to believe that it's all found in him. So turn your notes over and let's look at what these four words mean that, is, uh, that are in these verses. And uh, as you're going to see in a minute, I'm not going to go into depth on this, so you can kind of relax. We're not going to be here all day. Um, uh, but I'm going to give you just a little bit about these. So first, all my heart. And this means my will or emotions. Talking about your will or your emotions. Uh, you might put feelings there. So you're going to love him with all your feelings as well. But you will it to happen. All my soul means my spirit and my being. Now, soul is a difficult one for us to understand in our uh, you know, Western culture. But uh, it really means all that holds me together. All that holds me together, my spirit and my being. And then all my mind. And this means my thoughts and my desires. So I'm going to love him with all the things that I think about and all the things I actually desire. And then all my strength. And this means my body or my actions. And I would just add, or my energy. I'm giving him all my energy. Now, I've actually done a series on those four words. Uh, it's been forever ago. 
but I remember doing it and walking us through the great commandment and looking at each one individually. But I, I really, you know, as I'm looking at it today, I, I still might maybe do a series on it again someday because it's very relevant. But as I look at it, I don't think Jesus intended for us to pull each word out separately. Uh, I, I don't believe he says that we're going to break this commandment down to four areas. Now we're going to give you definitions of the, the, those areas. Now we're going to give, and we'll end up with 613 laws again. I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind at all. Uh, basically, I believe that you can boil the great commandment down to this. Love God with my entire being. My entire being. My entire life. So let love burn like a fire in my heart. Let love have unhindered access to my soul. Let love consume my mind and all of my thoughts. Let love empower me to action and to give me strength to carry it out. So he's saying, let love consume you. Now, let love consume you. Now, when I look at that, I'm going to come back to this at the end of our time together today. I just want you to know that this is not easy. The ordinary life is not a call to an easy life. It's not at all. But let's look at this next idea, and I'm going to talk about this as we wrap up. Love God with everything I got, and secondly, I love God everywhere I go. So with everything I've got and everywhere I go, that's what he's calling us to. So now we're going to jump over to Deuteronomy 6. So if you actually open your Bible there, you can turn there, verses 7 through 9. And uh, we're going to look at the end of the Shema uh, as it was talking about how to live it out. And so verse 7, it says, repeat them. So it's talking about all the commands. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So he's talking about every area of life. Now, I take my love of God with my whole being, and I do that everywhere I go. So there's no place that there's an out, okay? There's no compartment. There's no closet. There's nowhere. But it's a, I, everywhere I go, I take with them. So let's just talk about that, okay? Let's just go back to the first part of that, okay? Let's just, I'm going to walk through this. Um, and so the first one would be to talk about them. And so when you're at home, and so this is kind of meaning in your private life. And so, okay, you shut the doors, you come home, maybe you have a garage door open or it pops up, you get in, you pop it back down, you get inside, and that's your place where you could be hidden. Uh, that's your place where you can, you know, what goes behind those doors, no one knows. And so what he's saying here, no, when you're at home, you want to talk about God's love. You want to talk about how you're loving him. Make it a point to have some family moment. Uh, when you talk about God with your spouse or if you have children at home, you talk about the God with your children. And I just say, this, if your children are not home anymore, you can still talk about God to your children. You know, just one of the things you can do is just call them up. And if they have a relationship with God, this is easier than if they don't. Uh, but if they do, you can say, hey, well, what have you seen God do in your life these days? And that's one of the ways you can even talk about in home to talk about him. Next, when you're on the road. So he says, now, when you're, running out, you're out running errands, and so the way that the, the Jews would do it is, is that uh, the mezuzah would be on the door, 
And, uh, and so they would touch it or kiss it as they went out, and they would say the Shema as they went out. So what he's saying is, when you're out running errands, when you're going on a trip or in your public life, when you're out in the community, when you're at work or when you're at play, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says, before you go to bed. So uh, I just think that this is a powerful thing for us to do, to wrap up our day in gratitude to God for his providence and his provision as he's walked with you through the day. So loving God means ending your day with thoughts of gratitude for what he's done, loving him at that moment with all that you have in the morning. So you wake up. Okay, so what am I going to do when I wake up? Well, the first thing I do is I say, God, I want to consecrate this day to you. Uh, I hope that by the end of this day, because this is about relationship, right? At the end of this day, I know you better than I do right now because I've seen you in my life and seen you work. Then he says, tie them on your hands and write them on your forehead. So he's talking about tattoos here, guys. So gotcha, we got it. Some of you need to go get a tattoo now. And he says, tie them on your hands and write them on your foreheads. So it just basically, and, and you add it to the next one with write them on the doorpost of your house. He's basically set up reminders, so I don't know about you, but I need reminders. So uh, I love it when I walk into my house and we have a cross on the wall. It just reminds me, I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we have other pieces of memorabilia in our house that we've placed there because they remind us to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we have it everywhere we go. Put it in your car. And so you have a reminder. You need symbols. Symbols are so important to us being able to really keep him front and center in our minds as we go with him. And then he says, write them on the gates of the city. So I would just say, folks, that, you know, that why I don't think we have a privilege of going to the, you know, Grass Valley, you know, uh, entrance sign uh, that, you know, talking about when you enter in, I can't think of what that's called right now, but it's, you know, that we're entering into grass, and write on there, you know, something about God on that sign. I think we might get arrested for that. Okay, the city limit sign, there we go, and so that we're not going to do that. But I do believe that what this is saying is, is that you can do your business. You can do your business in a way that as you're doing business, as you're relating, that you're pointing people to the fact that you're different in some way, not weird, just different in some way, and that, that's pointing them to that there's something about you that they would want to ask, how are you different? Why are you this way? So that they can see God and see the love you have for him. So I just, you know, kind of wrap it all up as this. Jesus is not just looking for people who can say the Shema. He's looking for people who will live the Shema, right? So move it beyond saying it. Move it beyond words to actually living it out. It's a call to love God with everything you have everywhere you go. Now, let's just be honest. The reason so many of us, and me included, struggle with this is that it's hard to do. It's just hard to do. Uh, I, I just want you to know, this is, I'm calling you to the most difficult life possible. But he, remember, he's promised to empower you and to be with you. Uh, there was a British philosopher and theologian. His name was G.K. Chesterton. And I have a quote for him that's going to be on the screen here. He says, the Christian ideal has not been tried and left wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. All right? That's what happens so much. The idea has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and then, therefore, not tried. And I just say this, that's, that's more true in my life than I wish it was. As I look at that statement, it's hard to follow Jesus. It's a hard task to bring every area 
of my life, my work, my relationships, my ambitions, my money, my play, my uh, marriage, my family, my dreams, everything, and then to give them fully to Jesus. Now, it's easier to say it than it is to do it. That's why I said Jesus is not looking for people who just can say it, but people who live it. It's difficult. And so if you're like me, you might be looking at this right now, and now that you really understand what Jesus was saying and saying, can we go back to the 613 commandment thing? Because I think that might be easier than what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to give him everything, all, 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 all everywhere I go, all, everywhere I go. So how do we keep his commands? Well, you want to write this down. I keep his commands because I am loved by him. I am loved by him. This is how we keep the commands from being about keeping rules. So if you're going to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, if you're going to be able to love, as we talk about next week, your neighbor as yourself, If you're going to love God, love people, and serve our world, you have to know and experience a love that's like no other love, and that's the love the Father has for you, the love that Jesus wants for you. I'm going to close with some verses, and I'm going to ask if everybody, if you just bow your heads for a moment and listen to these verses, if you would. Just let them kind of come into your mind. This is from 1 John. The Apostle John is writing. And he says this, dear friends, so this is us. Let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. We love each other because he loved us first. God, I thank you so much for those words. And if we can just put ourselves in the position of the man who asked Jesus the question now. And Jesus said, look, you already know what to do. Just do it. Love is the answer. All you need is love. Love is the key to obedience. Love is the key to sustainability. Love is the key to contentment. All you need is love. Just do it. Love is the key to obedience. And Jesus, I thank you so much for those words. And Lord, I pray, and and I know that I know the hearts of your people here. And uh, there's a desire to want to be with you, to walk with you, to know you, to love you. And God, we just admit today that that's hard. Because our, to- our culture teaches us that we can compartmentalize our lives. And that we can put you in a box, God. And that we can live like we want in all the other boxes of our lives. 
But Jesus said that that's impossible. We're kidding ourselves. So today we just come to you, God, and we say, God, you can have our hearts, you can have our soul, you can have our mind, and you can have our strength. Help us to remember how much you love us. Jesus went to the cross to die on our behalf, that we could be in relationship with you. Help us to be ordinary. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.